0: This is episode 72 of the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm speaking with Eileen Watkins. Eileen has been riding at Lesson Stables all of her life and briefly owned a mare who inspired the character of Valentine in Reboot Ranch. After placing her chronically ill horse with a rescue farm in 2001, she decided to write Reboot Ranch to highlight the important work done by such organizations. Eileen also authors the Cat Groomer Mysteries for Kensington Publishing, including The Persian Always Meows Twice, The Bengal Identity, Feral Attraction, and Gone Kitty Gone. All four have received certificates of excellence from the Cat Writers Association. She also belongs to Mystery Writers of America and Sisters in Crime. Now, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from book authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horsebook. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horsebooks, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi everyone, welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm so excited to speak with Eileen Watkins. Welcome to the show, Eileen. Thanks for having me. Of course, and uh, I think we're going to have a really awesome conversation about writing about animals because you, you not only do you write about horses, but you've got some interesting books that involve cats. So I can't wait to get into talking about the genre of writing about animals, mm-hmm. but. For those who watch the the podcast, how I always love to start these interviews off is by asking "How did horses touch your life?" Well, they seem to have touched my life pretty early. I was very conscious of them ever since I was a child,
1: and i the only explanation that I can get for it is because I grew up in the suburbs. I really wasn't around horses that much, but I saw them on television and um, um mostly there, I suppose, and became fascinated and um We had a pony ride in the next town and every once in a while my father would take me just because I was a little kid and, you know, they thought he would enjoy it. And I must have gotten hooked. And uh, all of a sudden it was like, you know, buying the toy horses and all that kind of stuff. And uh, in grade school, you know, all through, through my grade school years, I took group lessons at the county stable. And so that was like once a week, I think Saturday, my father would take me up there and I'd, you know, take a lesson and all the horses were very old and very slow and, you know, it was very safe. And then uh, through high school and college, I got to involved with other things. I went to college out of state, which also complicated things. But after college, I I guess I never really got over the bug. And after college, uh, I went right back to lessons. So... I have pretty much, you know, off and on, no pun intended, I have pretty much been uh, involved with horses most of my adult life. And again, um, always taken lessons. There was only one period, and I'm sure we're going to be discussing that, where I, I half owned a horse and then briefly owned her outright. But other than that, I have been taking lessons on other people's horses. And I've probably gone to at least a dozen stables in the state of New Jersey and have a bunch of different instructors and a bunch of different horses so at least I have a broad experience.
0: <laughs> For sure and you know that's the thing about horse lovers we'll do whatever it takes to always have them somehow involved in our life whether it's writing about them or drawing them or taking lessons or visiting friends horses somehow we have to get our horse fix in there and mm-hmm. uh, and your your story parallels so many others I think a lot of us have to step away from it when we're in college just because that's a period of life where we're trying to figure out who we're going to become, right? And taking a horse to college is is a challenge. So, Eileen, your love of horses, and you touched on it briefly, and you know your last answer about half owning a horse, it led you to write a, a story, write a book called Reboot Ranch. Can you hold up your book and tell us about about what inspired this story? Well, the short answer is that it was inspired by an experience
1: that I had where I needed to retire the horse that I owned. And uh, I had to find a safe place for her, and I um, dealt with it. I finally found it was it was back around 2000, and I don't really think they had that many rescue farms these days. There are kind of a lot of rescue farms out there. Back then, it was really hard to find one. I wanted to find one where she. I didn't think that she was in shape to be adopted, and I wanted a place where she would be safe for the rest of her life. So I found one in Northwestern Pennsylvania, and I was living in. uh, Northern, northeastern New Jersey at the time, so it was quite a distance from where I was. The short story is that it worked out and she retired there, got the best of care, and she lived for like a year and a half longer, probably than she would have. In the meantime, I developed a friendship, mostly an email friendship, with the woman who had founded the, the farm. And she had really, she was still, I won't say she was still getting off the ground, but it was still early days for her. She was still running it pretty much by herself. And she told me, some experiences that she had had, um, anecdotes about the first few horses that she'd adopted. And I realized that they were kind of fascinating. Uh, and she told me these stories. And th- the only thing that wasn't quite coming together, we were thinking of doing it as a nonfiction book, but the only thing that wasn't quite coming together was she didn't have know a lot about the people involved. Mm-hmm. And I thought it needs a human element, but it could work. So I did other things. I was publishing other books, other novels. And uh, at one point I got back to her and I said, what if we made it a novel? What if I made it a novel? I said, what if I took your stories and I fictionalized them and I added characters and plotted it out like a novel? Would you be okay with that? And she said, oh yeah, that's fine. That would be great, you know, because I think she realized nobody is going to sue for libel. You know, I'm not going to talk about how anybody was cruel to their horse and name them Mm -hmm. in the book or anything like that, which is very safe. So I experimented with it. Eventually... Uh, After a a lot of looking around, I found a publisher for it. Apparently, it's been very well received. It's getting good reviews on Amazon. So I know we'll flesh out some of those things as we go along, but that's kind of the short version.
0: That's amazing. And I know you're a big supporter and proponent of rescue, particularly rescue for horses. And you were inspired by your own horse that you needed a rescue for. And Mm -hmm. then the stories of others who brought their horses to a rescue. Can you tell us a little bit about how the horse that kind of inspired the whole journey of reboot ranch came into your life and and how how it led you down the trail to where you ended up writing a book about this experience
1: one day um, my teacher says, "I want to put you on a new horse," and she brings out this skinny chestnut mare, not particularly old, but she kind of looked older than her years. And she says, "I want you to try this horse." so she puts the saddle on she packs her up, brings her out and i'm I'm really not expecting much you know i'm thinking this is this is probably going to be a real she was wonderful she was absolutely wonderful she was you know so for for her condition she was so energetic and tried so hard and the the killer thing was when I put her into a leg heel and she just went like she was on ball bearings you know she was so beautiful you know she just had this had a little bit of dressage talent you know and uh she said you know what do you think of her and I said "I, I love her you know she says yeah I love her too but I just don't know she's got this breathing problem and uh you know, I don't know what they've been doing for her in the last stable. I have a feeling maybe they just weren't given her the right food or the right conditions. You know, I bet, you know, we could, you know, bring it together. So she was trying to decide and I was trying to decide whether to, you know, pay what they were asking for. And uh, the next lesson I came, you know, and I had this idea and I, and, and I said, um, what if we split her? She said, I was thinking the same thing. Let's just, you know, divide it down the line. We'll, we'll each pay half. We'll pay half of her her medical and all this kind of stuff. So basically we did that. And in the beginning, particularly in that first winter, um, it worked out pretty well. Her name was Brenda. We were able to, you know, use her for lessons. And she was doing some massage. It was really, I was just enjoying the heck out of it because she was such a sweet horse. Then in the summer, we started to, to realize after about the second year, that in the summer, she got very bad. And her, her breathing problem, no matter what we did for it, we started giving her medicine. She just, the heaves were, were you know, really incapacitating. And I think this was the second summer we took it out to a show, and I just couldn't even finish the class. And I said, you know, you know, forget it. We just can't do this to her anymore. So then it became a problem because yeah. um, my teacher was using her for lessons. So I was trying to figure out what to do. I finally I started looking for for farms that would take her. I found the one that I mentioned. Benda is you know is the character of Valentine in the in the story, but a lot of the incidentals about um, things that happen are fictionalized, but there are certain things in there that really are based on her and based on uh, her life.
0: Oh, that is a lovely story. And and what a wonderful goodness that Brenda brought to your life. But then you also gave back to her, not only by finding her a safe place to spend her retirement years, but also memorializing her in, in a fiction book that she inspired. I, I think that is so special. And isn't it funny how life kind of like these magic moments occur where you know a a perfect horse kind of shows up and then the perfect partner to own the horse and then and then you know after searching and putting it out there that you need a place where she can safely live out the rest of her life you found this rescue i mean that's a very special chain of events right there everybody always went the extra mile for her everybody Mm -hmm. got attached to her she sounds like an extra special horse you know there's some of some of them just have this magic personality and you could that love just emanates off of them you know so it sounds like you got one of those (laughs) not only have you written books about horses you also are the author of the cat groomer mystery series and sort of like how you were talking about you know there weren't there aren't a lot of horse books for adults or horse books are like their own little genre Mm -hmm. I didn't realize there was like a feline or genre, which is really neat. Can you, can you tell us about the series and what inspired you to start writing about stories with cats? (laughs) I
1: had a a gradual uh, transition from, um, thrillers to mysteries. Um, and then I, I now have an agent, but, um, my agent picked up one of the mysteries that I wrote for a small publisher and, uh it was just around the time that the small publisher was going and was about to go out of business. Hmm. And he emailed me, maybe had submitted one book to him in the past, but not in a long time. I had met him at a couple of conferences and I knew he had a good reputation and all that kind of stuff. And he emails me and says, how would you like to do a cozy mystery series for Kensington? And I'm thinking, okay, what's the catch? Because agents don't go chasing authors. That just (laughs) happens, you know? So, um, I investigated, but I again I knew he was a a really solid guy. I went back to him and uh, got back and forth, and I realized, you know, that it was it was legit that this major publisher who publishes a lot of mysteries was looking for more writers. All the writers that work for them already were uh, occupied with other projects, and they they had told him if you come across anybody who hasn't got an agent, hasn't got a major publisher, uh, and writes mysteries you know, let us know and we'll contact you. So that was how that came about.
0: And they offered me to see cozy mysteries. I don't know if you're familiar with that term. I was gonna ask if you could define that for for listeners of the show, yeah.
1: Thank you. Cozy mysteries are supposed to be mysteries that are not too dark or too terribly disturbing and can have humor in them. Cats are a, a, a rather popular theme. In fact, some people write them where you know the cat um, reads the you know communicates mentally with the, the uh, lead character with the sleuth and solves the crime and all this kind of thing. So he suggested three topics to me. One of them was kind of like that, and I said, you know, I just I don't I don't do psychic animals. I mean, it's it's, it's not that I don't I, I do psychic, but I don't do psychic animals. It's just too cutesy for me. I like animals, to be animals. And there was something to do with food. And I said, you know, I don't really cook much. I'm not going to do one of these things where the character's constantly baking or anything. <laughs> so he said, well, and then they they said a cat, a cat groomer. And I said, a cat groomer who solves murders. And they said, yeah. And I was like, that's pretty strange, but I think I can make that work. <laughs> because I, I like the idea of somebody who worked with animals for a living. And I thought, I said, the only thing is I'm going to have to find out whether you can make a living just grooming cats. Because it sounds like like this Hollywood high, high concept thing where it hasn't quite been thought through, you know? Mm-hmm. So I did a little investigation and I found out, I, I talked to people who um, in New Jersey who, who um, did this kind of thing. And uh, it looked to me like the best way to make a living would be if um, you also had a boarding business. So I got back to him and I said, how about if she also boards? And he said, fine, you know? So I just took the topic that they gave me the amazing thing is that it was, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun because I tried to get very realistic about it. And the poor woman, you know, like has to do her job and somehow find time to uh, follow up on these clues and, and solve murders and things. And almost every, um, every thing, situation that she comes into is somehow connected with one of her clients. I mean, you know, there's either a cat is left at her shop that turns out to be stolen or, you know, one of her, her uh, customers is murdered or something like that. So I have to, you know, I'm I'm on my, I'm I'm working on the sixth book, the seven, the the second three book contract. I'm working on the sixth book now. I I really hope I can keep the premise going, but uh, (laughs) I try to find something, you know, fresh in each one.
0: That sounds so much, like so much fun to write them and, and it's going strong. And, you know, it's, it's so funny. Like, I, I can't imagine when you started your author career, you're like, I'm going to write a very successful series about cats but it happened and it just kind of another opportunity came your way and this is kind of a probably a difficult question for me to ask you but you know because i know you went thrillers cozy mysteries the the horse books i I mean you've you've written across a lot of genres and a lot of books but is there a like a theme or a message that you hope readers kind of can touch when they've finished reading one of your books
1: well, certainly with the animal books, I try to because I'm not doing anything silly like you know having the the cats uh, read minds the solve mysteries themselves <laughs> and things like that. Uh, I shouldn't say silly because it sounds like I'm putting down other people's which I'm not. But uh, I try to get information about the uh, about cat care, about the different breeds of cats, and it has that in common with with the horse books because mm-hmm. um, I do that too. I kind of write for. I try to write for both people who know something about that type of animal and people who don't really know much about it, who kind of are kind of interested, but don't really know much. Um, And yet not make it, not make it preachy, not make it like, and by the way, here's a big block of information about, you know, um, try to work it into the story. And uh, in a way, when I was writing my paranormal I did some. I said something like that, too. But, you know, in, in paranormal, it's just sort of informing people about things that may not even exist. You know, you're just trying to, within the context of this book, you know, this is what you have to know. Hmm. Fairness, justice, triumphs, you know, in the end, there's hmm. always uh, somebody who's uh, maybe does not look like the heroic type who ends up, you know, coming through at a crunch. So oh. that may be that may be the continuing theme too.
0: I love that. Yeah. you know, And I love that you mentioned that because as, as fiction authors, you, you we are still able to move, touch, and inspire people around, thing, you know, around understanding animals better or looking at, you know, people or unlikely hero in a different way. And I, I just love that you mentioned that.
1: Having a, a, an everyday hero kind of step up and do what even they don't realize they can do, you know, is fun
0: for me. Your, you know, book covers. Uh, you held, you held up Reboot Ranch there, and it had the horse on the cover. And it's important if you're writing a book that focuses on horses, I think, to have a horse on the cover. And then I imagine your your books with the the cat groomer series has a cat on the cover. Cozy mysteries tend to have these little scenes on them, and
1: they usually, you know, have a house or or something like that, or a shop, and yeah. You know, and so I envisioned a cover like that. And when they first asked me, you know, what are your ideas for a cover, I just kind of gave them something along that line because I thought that's what I was getting and what they gave me was
0: (laughs) that is certainly a cat on your cover
1: (laughs) our cat portraits they are big cat portraits I tell them what breed I'm you know I'm focusing on for a particular cat and they find the photos
0: oh that's so cute that that looks like a what is that a Siamese there?
1: this is a Himalayan a Himalayan which which is basically a Persian with Siamese coloring (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's beautiful. I imagine your target audience is someone who loves a cat and obviously the mystery aspect. So mm-hmm. in in so your publisher put cats straight up front and center on, on your books and, and it's working, right? It's like mm-hmm. you're having a lot of success with that?
1: hmm yeah, it seems to be, boy. Well, I did get a second free book contract. When I saw that, I thought maybe that's a good gimmick because I'm. Re- it's really, you know, the cats are very important. It's not, like it's not like they're just somebody's pet and they're just in there so that there's a cat element. You know, they're really, you know, <laughs> they're, they're what it's all about.
0: That's fantastic. And it's it speaks to the person that will want to pick up your book and read it. And then as far as the reboot ranch, you also thought the same way to put a horse on the cover. Do you want to talk a little bit about that cover? I searched online
1: and uh, I tried to find, I, I wanted to get the, uh, a picture of, of a gray horse. I wanted a gray thoroughbred uh, running in a field because this horse is, even though it's not based on my horse, this horse is um, kind of the antagonist of the story mm. in the sense that he's the problem they have to solve in order to get this, this rescue off the ground. I wanted him surrounded by open space in a field. Uh, I searched for, and it was, it was hard because I was trying to find, you know, a Dapple Grey horse, and they had a lot of Arabians, and they had Andalusians, and they had Lusitanos, and they, but they, I couldn't find anything that looked like a thoroughbred. So this is the closest that I could come.
0: That's perfect, and, and it complements the book, and it lets people know that the book is about Horse, like me i'll pick up anything that i see that has a horse on it particularly a book turn it over and look at it because i'm i'm the core audience for that sort of book so it was it's a good move and then i think your publisher did the right thing by putting the cats on the front of your book so you're you're hitting your target reader right there well the
1: publisher for this um suggested putting some kind of explanation on it and so we came up with a little little fine print here that says a story of rescue inspired by true events Tough and that's going to that kind of let you know what kind of a worst book it is. That's know? perfect.
0: And you've mentioned you've worked with a small indie publisher and a larger traditional publisher. What are your thoughts on independent publishing and, and traditional publishing?
1: An indie publisher, for the most part, you're not going to get you know a lot of publicity. You're not going. You're going to have to do a lot yourself. You're not going to get as many perks. But on the other hand, I I really wanted to avoid self publishing primarily because i didn't want to try and figure out how to format and bind and everything in the book myself you know i know i have a friend who has done that and she's very good but she's much more tech oriented than i am so i really wanted somebody to make a nice cover a nice interior and it it wouldn't look you know cheap you know i do feel that that's that's what i got out of my indie publishers but it's funny because being with a big publisher get these very uh, complex uh, and detailed royalty statements, you know, because everything is is in several forms and stuff like that. So, um, you know, they do a lot of the promotion for you and they um, make things easier when you go to conferences. So there are pluses and there are, are minuses. You do have to keep to a schedule. My first couple of cat books I had to do in six months each which was a little bit of pressure, but they're relatively short books. They're intended to be relatively short books. I did not have too much trouble with that. Now that there are several out, I'm on a once a year schedule, which is you know nice and, and relaxed. But you know you don't you don't mess around. You know you don't if you're going to be late for some reason. If you know you've had death in the family or something serious, you know yeah they'll they'll hold it for a little while. But they've got a schedule, and you know you've got to put it out. You've got to put out something that's acceptable to them. Uh, you've got to send them a detailed outline ahead of time. Because with my first publisher, you know, I sent them something when I had it. Mm-hmm. And um, and they looked at it and they said, you know, they generally, you know, didn't have any any corrections or any comments on it or anything like that. Because they were they were putting out all this paranormal stuff. So it was just, you know, it was right in their wheelhouse.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But, um, you know, you sort of have to play by the rules. Those are just the, the practical aspects of both.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, and thank you for giving us a look, kind of behind the, the curtain. There, how was the experience of having to write under pressure in order to meet a publisher's deadline? Well,
1: I, I never want to submit anything to anyone that I don't feel is as good as I can make it, and then absolutely, I'm, and then I'm still prepared for for you know criticism. <laughs> That's what you've got to do because I you know I I have people that I work with because I I work with a writing group and some, and a critique group when I see people getting sloppy, I say, you know, um, they're not going to fix fix the punctuation for you. They're not going to fix the spelling for you. You get too much of this stuff wrong, and they're just going to send it back to you. I said, it's got to be as good as you can make it before you send it in. And even then, you know, not only will they find grammatical mistakes that you slip through, but they're going to have opinions about, you know, how, how you wrote it and, and the slant that you took, things like that. So you just have to um, be prepared for that. Yeah, writing the first the first couple of cat books on the six-month uh, schedule was a little bit of pressure, a little bit of pressure. But then again, the whole theme and, and the characters and everything were brand new to me. So I didn't have to worry too much about consistency. I didn't have to worry about, well, did I, did I say there's something different about this character in the last book? So everything was fresh. Later on, I had a, a more relaxed schedule, but I um, I was further down the line. I found that keeping things consistent with what what you said about them in the in previous books and things like that. I, I pop back to my earlier manuscripts, you know, and say, what 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 color hair did that cop have? What did I think about? if I make him 20 in this book and he was 60 in the last book, it's gonna look really stupid. So um minor characters and, and details like that. Um it's I think it's just, you know, my newspaper discipline helped a lot because um uh I sometimes, you know, I and, and some journalist uh, friends I have who are also uh, fiction writers say, you know, uh, you learn to put in your butt in the chair and just write something. You know, yeah. you write it first and then you make it better. You know, you write it first and then you polish it, but get something on the page because you can't work with an empty page. You know, mm. I think, you know, I, I don't worry too much about getting in the mood. I can, you know, make myself do it if I have to do it.
0: Great advice you know just put your butt in the chair and get something on the page you can always make it better so you're saying you were you were writing at least two books a year and but if under no pressure what what are you comfortable with how many how many books are you comfortable with with writing any in a year generally i do have to say that by that time i was retired Mm. so uh
1: you know it's not as if i was coming home after work you know like with my earlier books that that i could write as long as it took but um, it's not as if I was coming out home from work tired and, and knocking out the, you know um, a book every six months. I, now I'm uh, uh, down to a book a year, mm-hmm. and that is definitely comfortable. Um, I just don't feel re- too much pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had to, I could probably do th- things a little bit faster. But you know, frankly, um, just from a marketing standpoint, there are four calculator books out there already. You don't want the market too flooded mm-hmm. because there are still people who are – catching up with the first ones, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think from the publisher's standpoint, it isn't necessary to, you know, keep turning them out at that fast pace. But, you know, I probably, now that I'm retired, you know, I could write faster. And the thing is, I turned out, um, colon Disorder and Reboot Ranch both in the same year. Mm-hmm. Because, um, and I can't say that I just, you know, went right from one to the other. It was more like I had one already in progress and I just picked up the other one and when I was done with that I went back so that was relatively easy for me because you know, I I do have I do have the time now and I, I I like to say that when I got that publishing contract and I retired at the same time I felt like I had finally been hired for the job that I was trying out for for 40 years <laughs> not that I hadn't written the novels before but I was finally able to concentrate and say okay this is what
0: I do for a living you know that's fantastic and congratulations yeah it's like a dream come true to not have to do like a full-time job or all these other side jobs in order to support an author career so that's that's really great and i think you're a book a year is fantastic i mean two books in a year i'm like oh wow you know and i i think that's a nice rhythm you know once you get those first in the series out then to have them you know coming along so people can catch up but not waiting too long but not too soon i think it's that's perfect and then for you, I mean, you have so much experience. I was wondering, I always like to ask this question because everybody's perspective is a little different, but for you, what is the best part about your author career? And then on the flip side of that, what's been the most difficult part for you of being an author? Well, I think that,
1: and this I'm sure is not a, a terribly original answer, but I think when you open a box of, of a book that's just been published, and you look at it and you think, you know, and you're aware of all the, the editing that's gone into it back and forth, you know, from from concept editing to line editing all the way down the line. Uh, and you feel that it's turned out the way you wanted it to, you know, the way you envisioned it. That's, you know, always a very satisfying uh, uh, experience. And I have to say with Reboot Ranch, it was kind of like, uh, even though I had several of the cat books out, it was like that, that first time all over again because that was, such a personal book and it was so difficult to find the right place for it and i do think that the publisher you know put out a very attractive product and and did justice to it so that's you know that, that's always a high though you know each, each book you each, each book is this kind of a struggle
0: mm-hmm. and
1: like you know when you're when somebody's must be like when somebody's putting together a play and you know the curtain finally goes up and everything you know goes off right you know you're, you're aware of, of all the, the work that went into it and it's, it's finally come together and I guess the hardest part, especially these days, is the marketing. You're competing. One thing that about today's today's market is that there are so many ebooks out there. There are so many people self-publishing, and you're competing with so much stuff. It's it's hard to stand out. It's hard to find the niche. Even though I'm a I'm a dyed-in-the-wool introvert, strangely enough, I like marketing in person because I find that I can talk to people about my books and if they were just you know, walking by and not paying too much attention, I can start talking to them and I'll, I can sell them on the book. You know, if I if I tell them something about it, it's very hard to do that electronically. It's hard to do that um, to get people's attention um, on Facebook or I tried various marketing things with Reboot Ranch. Some have worked, some have not worked all that well. And figuring out how to do that, how to break through the crowd is very difficult. If you think you've got a good book and you just can't get anybody to pay attention to it or look at it, it can be very, you know, it can be a struggle and discouraging.
0: Mm, Absolutely. And I think, I think that is actually the number one most difficult response is, is the marketing because not only it, not only is it, there's so much out there and so much, so much for people to consume, but it's, it's changing. Like the, the things that work one day, don't work the next day and the technology is always changing. So it's, it's hard. And I, but I love that you mentioned in person, I think events and in reaching people and talking to readers is, and being in the, in the right place, right. The right kind of space for uh, the people who would be interested in your book is, is a, is a great way to get the word out there. And, and I think face-to-face is so much more special than, you know, trying to communicate with people through a computer.
1: I'm going to book conventions where, There are other writers there, you know, and some of them, there are readers there, there are fans there. Mm -hmm. But um, I'll go, I have a street fair that I go to with my, I belong to Sisters in Crime Central Jersey, which is a mystery writing group. Mm -hmm. And um, I do a street fair with them every year. I also have gone to holiday gift shows. Some people don't realize that, you know, craft shows, gift shows, things like that. Usually, a writer can take a table. Some people are there, you know. They're selling kids' books that they didn't write. You know, that it's just a commercial. They're like a vendor or whatever. I I started breaking into craft shows, and I'd and uh, I'd say, is it okay if I bring, you know, the books that I wrote? And they say, oh yeah, sure. As long as it's something you made, <laughs> you know, it's 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 your your wares, you know. And uh, you get people who, first of all, there's not much competition from for other books. And people who like to read will come by and say, oh, you've got books, you know. And sometimes they're not readers. They'll just talk to you for 15 minutes and not buy anything. The ones who are readers will come by and say, I can't make up my mind. Oh, maybe I'll take this one. And oh, my aunt would love this one. And they'll walk away with like four books. You know. With, you made some money. I, I find that those things can be very, can be a lot of fun to do, you know. And, and you also find out a lot about what people like to read. Because I will always ask people, what what sort of thing do you like to read? So not only is it a marketing tool, but I'm really getting information. You know, um, one of the reasons that when I was writing paranormal, was that my first few were pretty scary, and uh, I I didn't make any secret of that. And uh, people would go by and they'd say, Oh, I don't know, I, I don't like I don't like horror. I don't like really anything too scary. And I'd say, Well, what do you like? And they'd say, Well, I like mysteries. So I wrote a couple of paranormal mysteries you know, because I felt like trying it. And uh, I thought, if there are more mystery readers out there, maybe that's the market I should tap. And that evolved into me doing mysteries, you know, pretty much full time very seriously.
0: That's smart. You know, you're doing you're doing marketing, but also market research while you're attending these shows. And I I think a People often love to support their local authors too. I imagine a lot of the, the events that you go to, like the craft shows, are are local. Is that right?
1: Uh, I have I go to some a little further afield, but the the local ones are fun. Um, and the one that I go to with Sisters in Crime in New Jersey is right in next town to me. Um, and we meet in that town, so we you know we can all go out there and say, oh, we meet right down the road, you know, and we're all mystery writers, and you know, then you get people interested and they're talking to you. And, they often will walk away with a book.
0: That is so fun. I love that, and you're building community. That's mm-hmm. with other authors. That's fantastic. If you had, if you have one piece of advice you could go back and give yourself before you wrote your first book, what would you tell your yourself?
1: <laughs> the only thing I could tell myself is to hang in there because it took me a very,
0: very, very long time. We're talking decades.
1: I mean, you know, uh, I'm I'm a retirement, past retirement age. You can make of that what you will. And uh, it was, I started writing novels uh, right after college and I slaved away and I sent them out and they came back and I sent them out and they came back. And I think my, I was kind of cross genre for the time. I was a little out of step with what was was, uh, popular and was actually selling. Um, But there wouldn't have been too many shortcuts because I was writing what I really wanted to write. Mm. And it was just a matter of trying to to sync it up with the market and also to find a good publisher. And um, one thing that helped, was that e-publishing was just becoming popular. I belong to a group called Garden State Horror Writers. I was going to their meetings and uh, was very active with them. And they had a speaker come, what year was it? Well, it had to be around 2000 or so. And she talked about the exciting new world of electronic publishing and how people were putting out electronic books, you know, you didn't have to have an agent, and and you know, and also it didn't, you know, cost you anything, and all that kind of stuff. It sounded very good. And I had this one book that everybody, you know, I was I was getting a lot of good feedback on, except that it just didn't fit any publisher's niche. I went up to her after the meeting and I talked to her about it, and she said, "That sounds like something we really like." You know, send news. I didn't hear about them for a while, and then I found out that that, that the publishing company that she'd been involved with had had kind of split. And she and some other people were going off and starting their own. Um, They had a difference of, you know, um, opinion about how things were, how people should be paid and that kind of stuff. So um, long story short, I ended up with the publishing company that she and her friends started. They took everything. I had um, at least seven manuscripts that I had not been able to place anywhere else. And they just liked everything because it was was kind of cross-genre. But they liked it, you know, it was, um, you know, it was kind of of scary. It kind of had a little romance. This is the kind of stuff really that's being sold today, you know, like uh, uh, dark vampire romance, scary things, things that things that had a little bit of of romance or relationship in them, but were were very dark and very paranormal. People are are publishing a lot of that stuff today, but they just weren't going for it back then. But Amber Quill ate it up so I found you know my, my publisher but boy it took a long time to find somebody who just said you know we like this we like this one stuff
0: <laughs> yeah and that's a great story I love that you said that so persistence and and just keep going don't stop until you get that yes because there is a yes out there will be a yes someday because it's subjective you know some publishers look for this some publishers look for that some people just want you to write you know to trope like so you just kept Going and you found a home. I have, I have to say one of the reasons about it, one of the cute clues to, cues to persistence
1: was right before, shortly before I I connected with this publisher. Um, I was really depressed. I had sent this book out and it had gotten rejected again. And I said, you know, you know, you got a job. You know, you don't really, you don't have to do this. You can only to put yourself through this. Stuff. You're you're more than one years old, and uh, you can uh, you can give up. You can stop. And I think I stopped for about four hours. <laughs> and I was like, "No, I can't stop. I just—it's like being an addict. I couldn't stop because because it really was so important to who I was. You know, mm-hmm. I had to keep doing it."
0: Yeah, it's it meant to be. I, I just I love that story. Thank you for for sharing that with us. So just keep going. I've so enjoyed talking to you today. I mean, you're up to so much. Like, what's next? Where are you heading? What are you thinking? What are you curious about? Well. I've got,
1: um, as I said, I'm, I'm working on the last book uh, in, in this um, last of six books in this three-book contract. If I get another three-book contract, then I'm going to have to get my poor heroine into some even more dastardly situations. I don't know how I can top what I'm putting her into in this book. <laughs> really gone through hell in this book, uh, psychologically more than anything else. And I, I really did not picture Reboot Ranch as having any kind of a sequel. I don't know if there will be any uh, demand for that, or if I will suddenly get stuck with an idea somewhere along the line that, you know, this would be a great sequel, of it is, you know, because uh, I, I covered a lot of ground there and I did leave it very open-ended. There are two relationships uh, that are open-ended. Uh, there's some new horses that have come into the, the uh, farm at the end who, you know, need retraining so there are things that I can do, but I also it also is the sort of thing where if there's never a sequel, I think it, it stands on its own. Mm-hmm. So I just have to see.
0: I have so enjoyed having you on the show today. Can you share with listeners where they can find out more about you and your books? All the
1: cat books are on Amazon and also um, through Barnes & Noble stores. Reboot Ranch is on Amazon. My website is www.ef as in Francis, EF Watkins.com. I'm on Facebook and I have a blog on my um, website connected with my website.
0: I will link to all those places uh, in the show notes and people can get directly to you and follow you on Facebook and, and check out your books. And thank you so much for the gift of your time. I've so enjoyed having you on the show.
1: It's a lot of fun.
0: Thanks for joining us this week on the equestrian author spotlight podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes, and make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to CarlyCadeCreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at CarlyCadeCreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle.